Hello, and welcome to the I Want to Like This podcast, number 48. I'm your host, Thomas Sinclair. This week with me is... Jerry. Jerry Gosson, because he doesn't want to give his full name. Whatever. No, um, I just figured, you know, we were going to say stuff, so people should know me by now. I Well, if they listen to this podcast, hopefully they do. But we got to treat every podcast like it's somebody's first. And we might have a whole new gaggle of people coming to this, because today we're talking Game of Thrones. Which, I mean, Game of Thrones Season 7 premieres this Sunday. And it's kind of funny because on this podcast, we often talk to people about something they got excited by, but ultimately disappointed by. You just recently watched the first six seasons of Game of Thrones to catch up to where we are now uh, at the premiere on Sunday. And you kind of held off on starting the Game of Thrones. Like, you avoided it. Yeah... <clears throat> you and many others would were constantly like, "Oh, you haven't? Why haven't you watched Game of Thrones yet?" Why mine was, "I want my mine was not. Why haven't you? Mine was, please watch Game you of Thrones. To. I need someone to. No, yeah. I needed you to. It was never that I thought you needed to watch Game of Thrones. It's that I needed you to talk to about it. Okay, well, the overwhelming majority of people were like, "Oh, I can't believe you have it. It's like when like Orange Is the New Black and everything came out and. Yeah, it just kind of ruined it for me. So everybody's like, oh, Game of Thrones is the best thing since sliced bread. Like, we don't even need sliced bread because we We, have Game of Thrones. We always need sliced bread. (laughs) Yeah. There will always be a need for sandwiches. It just kind of, I was like, like, I just, I don't care. No, I totally get that. When there's a bunch of people telling you that this is the thing you have to see, you, there's a, there's a, there's sometimes you're like, oh, I have to catch up with everyone and then there's other times where it's just like yeah fuck you all (laughs) yeah also with the fact that when it first came out i was full-time in school and mostly full-time at work and i didn't have any way of getting a hold of it so i didn't really find myself necessarily wanting to get a hold of it because it was so much extra labor to go through and try to find out where i can get game of thrones that i just didn't care yeah and it's behind a paywall for hbo and we don't actually, we're not actually in a lot of circles that have HBO Go passwords. Yeah, the reason that I, the reason that I actually started watching Game of Thrones wasn't because like, oh hey, season seven is coming out. It was like, hey, my internet subscription just gave me like HBO Go. I was gonna say free HBO Go, but I'm still paying for it. I just don't have to actually pay specifically for an HBO Go subscription. So I was like. Oh, okay. So I was like, I guess I can start watching Game of Thrones now. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, season seven's coming out soon. Okay. okay. (laughs) No, for me it was, uh, I came back home after one of the trips abroad that I do, like, randomly where I just disappear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came back home to my mother's, and she had HBO now on the TV. And I was just like, okay. And I wanted to watch, like, Game of Thrones was told to me and sold on me by people at conventions, but I didn't get the whole cultural Game of Thrones was a huge thing, because it was only in the second season when I started. Right. So, you know, I'm not the earliest, like, I didn't start from the premiere, but when the second season was starting, I caught up on the whole thing, and I've just been yeah. year to year since. And I've kind of been around the entire process of Game of Thrones, but like I said, the people that have made me be around it are also kind of the people that have squandered my want and desire to watch it. No, I totally get that. Because, like, I remember whenever I was still working at Walmart, and there was, 
this one specific coworker who was a cool dude just kept trying to shove it down my throat and he tried to make jokes and references and I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about. Also, we're kind of like you and I have the the kind of rebel kind of mentality where someone everyone keeps pushing something it's like no no i'm not gonna do that it just makes me not want to do it exactly it just which oh my god i totally just thought of something um and we always have the disclaimer some point in here so if you're listening to this you probably should have already be caught up with all of game of thrones because they're yes spoilers definitely anyways so i was just thinking about the what i just said about the guy that would like constantly make references okay and I just realized that the joke he was making, nobody would have known that it actually was that. So, because I okay, the first elaborate. time the first time that I remember like him bringing up Game of Thrones, he's he just goes, "Hey Jerry," and I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" And he just starts going, "Hodor, Hodor," and I'm just like. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Hod- Jerry, Hodor. And I'm like, no, you hold on. He's like, no, Hodor. And I was like, and then I look at him as I was going into the cooler and he just goes, Jerry, Hodor. And I'm like, I'm not holding your damn door. Like, <laughs> and I, it just clicked in my mind that I was like, oh. You were, you were no already idea. there. No idea. He would have had no idea. And I'm just like, I'm not. He's like, Hodor. And I'm like, no, get out of my way. I have to go into the cooler. If you want to hold the door open, I don't care. You were totally there. I had no idea. That's that's fantastic. Oh, Hodor. What a sad death. That might be the single, like the saddest death ever that I saw in the Game of Thrones. That was what that was the one death that like hit me. Really? The Hodor one. Yeah, I guess the Hodor one is pretty. But see, it's like that, like with uh, the whole idea of. Yeah, there were a lot of people that were trying to shove it down my throat, and they built it up much higher than I think it should have been in certain aspects. Like, I just didn't fucking care. Yeah. Like, I did not care about the characters how I should have, because everybody's like, so, oh, whoa, George R.R. R. Martin is okay. a sadist, and he kills everyone. Everyone dies. Everyone always dies. Don't ever get attached to anyone, which I didn't get attached to anyone in the show. Yeah, that's it the thing. It. Yeah, no, because you went into it with all the baggage of people who've watched all these characters die, right. and that sucks because it wasn't fresh to you. And what sucks, I I know you enjoyed it because we get to have conversations about it, and I actually got to see you somewhat excited. But I could tell that the the fervor that I had for it wasn't the same as the fervor you had for it. And right. I think it's because of if the you hype. started, yeah. Well, also if you started Game of Thrones now, everyone kind of has the running thing that George R. R. Martin's gonna kill all these people. Right. So it's hard to put hard into him like i remember when the stark when rob stark's death happens uh the lannisters send their regards yeah that moment gutted me much like it did his wife but see um i started picking up the books and i got pretty far into i just like random i don't even remember which one it was uh i just picked up one of the books and started reading into it and realized that it was like oh i'm already past this in the series i don't really care and I started like thinking about it, and I was like, "Yeah, no, there's so much foreshadowing. It doesn't. It didn't surprise me when the people died at the points that they died. Like when Rob Stark died, I'm like, oh yeah, he's going into this and he's gonna die.' Because it's it, the the whole overarching theme I feel that is Game of Thrones is the second that somebody gets happy and oh. they have something that makes them happy." <laughs> Gone. Yeah, that's got to f- get fucked up. Fucking gone. Oh, Whether you... they die or that person dies. Oh, you fell in love with that cute redhead? 
hey, remember that kid you taught how to shoot a bow? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That one That one was kind of, I was like. That oh. one broke my heart. Maybe it's my my affinity for redheads, but that one really broke yeah. my heart. Her as a character, I didn't really care about. Like it felt her. more like a throwaway. Because she I, wasn't around very long. Well, no, but like the time she spends with Jon Snow, because that's another thing about the series that they don't. Because of the pacing of the series, it's hard to forget that there's year spans in yeah. these. And Which, they don't date anything. The best thing, the best thing, because they it was also paralleled in the in the books. Um, the best thing that I thought was really cool in the first season is the way that they pace it out is by the growth of the wolves. Yes. Like whenever they find them as the pups, which is the first chapter yeah. in the book. And then it cuts to, oh, these these aren't pups anymore. They're the, grown wolves. Yes, they are full grown. That was really wolves. cool. And it, it, it adds an age to the characters as well because it's, it yeah. takes over a season for them to be that big. One thing that really annoys me, though, and it's just nitpicking, but one thing that has really annoyed me about like Game of Thrones is the fact that it's medieval and there's so much time spanned, but yet you have these... like. Okay, mainly one thing that I notice all the time is whenever you have characters like male characters, like um, any male characters like Jon Snow, they always wear their hair long and they always have beards, but their beards and hair never seem to grow. It's like if you're in like the battlefront and yes. you're letting it grow out, you're not going to have like five o'clock shadow all the time yes. every day. And your hair is going to be a lot longer than, hey, I can finally pull my hair back in a ponytail. I'm Jon Snow. Yeah, the span of time it's really for like annoying. their hair and whatnot. They never show. Well, they do show the boys getting their hair cut early on when the queen's yeah. going to show up. Uh, it's just one of those things where I'm just. Th- th- there are markers and embark uh, markers of time that they could have used. I mm-hmm. do like. It's another one of those shows. It, 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 for uh, some of the cast members, it reminds me of how I felt watching the Harry Potter series because you're right. literally watching people grow up. Yeah. So these, like the like. like and in talented the fourth people. one, the Goblet of Fire, and everybody's got the long, shaggy, like, yellow yeah. hair. Yeah. And it's just like, what the fuck? But, like, the yeah. difference in... Even Jon Snow, Kit Harington is uh, relatively an adult when the series begins, but he's so much younger there than yeah. as he is towards the end of the series. And it adds weight to the character growth, because right. his character grows... I mean, his character comes back from the dead. Literally, Like, there's yeah. a lot of growth in his character... And then you have the people, and also there's children, child actors who really learn to grow as performers. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa like, Williams I was, is amazing. Uh, I was just reading an article about. Um, oh, I forget. I forget her name all the time. The actress that. Uh, who plays Sansa? Yeah. Uh crap! I should know her name. I should. I feel bad right now. Yeah, because I got like Maisie blanking. Williams right off. The yeah, bat, I'm like but... blanking on names. Like I remember Kit Harrington uh, all the time because Jon Snow is awesome. Yes. And then of course Maisie Williams because, because she's, she's also in Doctor awesome. Who. <laughs> yeah, but it... yeah, no, like I was reading an article the other day about how um, the the girl that plays Sansa. I feel so bad. And she plays Jean Grey her. as well. And yeah. I'm... She literally basically bombing. learned about like the birds and the bees and how. Oh things yeah, yeah, yeah. She did while not while growing up because uh, she was so young when they she, started. She made a joke about how she didn't know what a blowjob was before she. When yeah. she read the script, she's like, "People do that." Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like, "Oh yeah, you were like thirteen when this show started." Yeah. Um, I totally forget about stuff like that, and then when you watch it and you watch it again, it's Sophie Turner, by the way. Sophie Turner. Um, yeah. 
she's she grows as a performer and people are like she's the weakest of the actors because the marvel the x-men movie she was in recently wasn't her accent tends to fade in and out when she plays Jean Grey. Yeah. It's supposed to be an American accent, I think. She ju- I feel like she just had a trouble trouble donning an American accent. Just like yeah. that King Arthur movie that came out with Charlie Hunnam. Yes. Was all he was all over the place. Yeah, and that's another problem what people don't ever think about. Like people talk about these great British actors who don American accents and I'm like mm-hmm. Those actors like that are classically trained. Yeah. They weren't child stars in a television series where they basically had to use their own voice. Like those actors, like the Benedict Cumberbatches, the Patrick yeah. Stewart's, the you know, you go through those lists of those people and they're theater trained actors. They work on voice and accent and all that work yeah. their entire lives to have that kind of skill. So also, when they're adults and they become famous. People don't realize this, but donning different American accents is actually kind of difficult. Oh, As it's an ridiculous. American yes. to go like true southern and not sound like you know a appalachian american yeah Yeah, to to actually do an american accent and not make it sound stereotypical is very difficult especially for like non-americans and i don't think people understand all the differences and the nuance that comes with the american accent like the difference between actual chicago accents and wisconsin accents while there are I just made a jo- I just made a joke about that since I saw Guardians two in theaters twice. <laughs> I fucking straight up tore apart Kurt Russell because he tried to do he was in Missouri and him and the woman that played uh, Star Lord's mother they're in Missouri and they sound like they're from the very tip of Mississippi. And I'm like, you're fucking butchering it. I'm like, you're they from s- the area too. I'm so from that's really the area, so you. I'm just it fucking. I'm like, you just sound like in the middle of nowhere Hicks. Well, that's the thing. And we, and we always make a joke about it when it's Americans trying to do a British accent. And um, in a recent, because uh, I'm watching The Achievement Hunter, they're doing the Let's Plays mm-hmm. through uh, Game of Thrones. And Gavin tries to teach Michael the difference between Northern and Southern accents right. in, in the United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom, there's so many different, like the Welsh accent is so much different than... Yes the london accent and the london accent is so much different i mean everything's different than the scottish accent but even the scottish accents there's north and there's highland and south mm-hmm. uh, and lowland scottish accents and then irish accents there's the ones that are more of a brogue and then there's the you know irish accent isn't the same everywhere and exactly i mean there's a certain lilt to the entire accent of, of the united kingdom but it's not the same accent yeah i feel like what if you're um, and that's just in those you're... islands the the and when you think about the UK and you think about all that exists in that small space, doing American accents is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same way in that um, Americans have many different like dialects and how they speak in different regions. It's the same thing as, well, whenever somebody does the stereotypical British accent, it's always like really Cagney and... It's just, it's terrible. And it's the same way of listening to, like, a British person try to don an American accent. If they don't actually study what they're doing, it just sounds like they're trying to be some hick in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, so for the most part, like, Sophie Turner, I think, has had an amazing turn, not just learning about the birds and the bees through Game of Thrones, but becoming an actress from a child actor. Do I think she's got uh, room to grow? Shit, Meryl Streep is still growing as a performer. Right. Everybody who's doing their job still has room to grow. And if you're not learning something, fuck off. So I, I think the cool thing about it is, um, especially with her, she's one of the first 
uh, of the like child actors that grew out of Game of Thrones, because obviously Game of Thrones is rife with very old school British actors. Yes. So well, you know, Kit Harrington got a couple movies before her, and Maisie Williams has yeah, been doing. but Maisie no, has been doing all sorts of independent work. Yeah, but other than Doctor Who, Maisie Williams isn't like well known for anything, and Kit Harrington well, hasn't been known for anything other than Game of Thrones. Well, he made whereas those Sophie two Turner terrible movies. Yeah, Sophie Turner Pompeii. is uh, young Jean Grey. Yes, the whole world knows her. Well, I think so, that's actually kind of a mistake on her agent's part. Yeah. Really. Because Maisie Williams is actually doing a lot more acting roles than just about anyone on the series because mm-hmm. she's taking all these independent films. Yeah. She's, there's a well, I mean, yeah, I'm not putting through. her down. I'm just saying that well, no, I'm, what I, I was going to say is that they obviously have shown that they have range to grow and they're not oh, yeah. going to fall into the pitfall. Well, I think that's the, what I was getting at is, yes, yeah, Sophie Turner picked the big name one. Yeah. But I think that's kind of uh, one. I, I think it's a little bit of the people casting from X-Men trying to capitalize on the Game of Thrones yeah. bandwagon. Which makes sense money wise, but also it's one of those things where I feel bad because it's like you're you've been playing this role, growing into this role with your own voice, your own dialect. It's it's much like the Harry Potter kids. They got to be exactly. their voices became what defined these kids yeah. for a lot of people. Like Sophie Turner is Sansa Stark to an entire group of people. Well, it's the same way. I mean, to say that is also saying that yeah, Game of Thrones also handpicked a lot of actors from the harry potter series oh it is like there's filch there's tonks no no there definitely is so i mean yeah no i just feel that they've shown that they do have the range and i feel that i feel confident in that they're not going to be stuck in the pitfall of oh they're just they were just from game of thrones when it ends they still can go out no my only my only compliment of why i was doing saying that is because it's such a big role to jump in right after game of thrones Mm -hmm. it is such a drastic change in dialect for whereas i think some of the other actors on game of thrones are doing smaller parts around the world to build a body of work before jumping into something big i think Maisie williams her star is big enough and and seen enough that people would want her in those bigger roles yeah and i think she's just choosing smaller things to grow as an actress well yeah she doesn't want to take like a giant not not to say that sophie turner's done this but she doesn't want to take like a giant role and then butcher it and then oh uh, yeah I'm nobody not gives her credibility anymore i think emotionally sophie uh turner as jean gray really good i just think a x-men apocalypse wasn't the best x-men movie written no yeah that and, was and B, it was it, her accent is off. Yeah, that's but, my yeah. only comment about her. Right. Because other than that, I think she's fantastic, and I think the growth of Sansa from being a spoiled little brat who you just wanted to see her little sister kick her ass to being yeah, this... I, I kind of hated Sansa Stark. Well, you're for sp- most yeah, of it. It's like, fantastic. It's one of the things. It's like like she would. It was in <clears throat> such heartbreaking turmoil, but I just didn't fucking care. Yeah, you're like this is what you she's did to liter- yourself. Yeah, she's literally watching her. Her, like she literally is forced to look at her father's head on a pike. Yep. To the by the guy who she's set to marry. Yeah. Who she's and she goes in this complete survival mode where she's just like, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I kind of her character growth to the point where she is now this, this person pulling strings, in Winterfell. Right. Is phenomenal, and I can't wait to see where it goes from there. And I just, I wanted to get back on this concept of. Finding a series late in the game after so many people touched on it, I mean, it does take away from the emotional impact that a lot of the deaths have had for you, it seems. Mm -hmm. 
but do you think the quality of the show is do you think the quality of the show merits kind of the following it's had i mean just judging based oh on the... yeah no i'm not saying at all that game of thrones itself is what deterred me from liking it as liking it abundantly it's the fan base and everybody it's the same reason why i've never been able to start supernatural okay it's well okay we've that's I, actually I about that this... that sort of train of thought is actually kind of the reason why i kind of stayed away from it first of all um when i started game of thrones it was the sixth season and that's a lot to try to catch up it on is. considering each episode is an hour long um and the same way that like supernatural there are like 13 seasons there, is. there are like 11 or 12 seasons but secondly, the following for both of those shows is so fervent. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. And if you don't, they're like two kinds of people, basically the kind of person's like, oh, you don't watch Game of Thrones and they never talk about it to you again. Yeah. Because like there's actual like whatever okay. and they turn their nose up Ugh, and then there are the kind of people that are like, how come you haven't seen this? How like you? No, you have to. You have to. You have to. You have to. Okay, I'm gonna argue that there's three groups of people because there was always okay, me. Okay, sorry. Going... Thomas is the one person that stands <laughs> out from the crowd, going, "Yeah, you should probably watch that." No, because it's, it's really I, good. I would like you to watch it because I would like to be able to talk about it with you. Which is the same reason I always make want people to watch anything. If I like something and I want to talk about it, I would like you to watch it because I would like to talk about it to you. Right. Because I like my friends' opinions. I like no, people's I mean, opinions. I'm obviously generalizing. Yes. But, yeah, there are, like, two veins of thought in how those are treated in the same way that big factions like that are. And those two specific types of scenarios I've noticed, but in a lot of other, like, really heavily fan-based stuff. Like, Doctor Who, nobody cares. Nobody Like, nobody's going to try to shove Doctor Who down your throat. Like, they're like, oh that's sad i'm sorry you should watch it it's really good <laughs> that's it yeah but like yeah supernatural and game of thrones are like they are really into it yes they're almost combative in how yeah. they want you to watch it and that is something where it's just like also they're a fervent fan base that i i love fandom i i would go to cons i love right. that stuff i there are sometimes where i i go okay you still have to separate those people from their characters because yeah. the kid who played Joffrey, oh my god, that that's poor the kid's worst. not doing shit he now. He literally retired because he couldn't take another role. Yeah, because he was getting like hate mail and death threats, which sucks because he was good but, in that role. Yeah, but on the opposite side of that same coin, like it completely drove him away from acting. But um, oh god, I'm so terrible with names today. Um, the actress that plays Cersei, oh, oh, oh she is relishing in the fact that everyone hates her. She does. And she is. I'm gonna she's throw amazing. this out. She is my favorite character. Cersei, uh, played by Lena Headley. Lena Headley. Yeah. Uh, isn't it Heady? Heady. Yeah. Heady. Heady. Yeah. Lena Headley. Um, she's phenomenal. And the once again, one of those characters who you just kind of blatantly hate at the beginning, and they start showing you with her with her relationship with uh, K uh king baratheon mm. that there's like there's more to her there there's a but depth see, even and at the even at the beginning it was like i didn't hate her like i know people wanted me to hate her so it was kind of like i maybe if i would have started i might have hated her but coming into it with all of the weight of it and everybody like oh, she, oh cersei lannister's the devil incarnate she's terrible 
that kind of forces you to whenever you start watching it afresh it forces you to kind of look at it from a different perspective i can see and that the whole time i watched everything that she was doing as cersei lannister it was like oh yeah up until the up until the end of the sixth season where she just didn't fucking care and she basically drove her last son to suicide yeah she did everything she could to keep her family together she, she cared she she loved her children and she loved her brother she really loved her brother <laughs> she still really <laughs> loves her brother but it's uh it's one of those things yep but it's just like she did this to protect her family oh yeah she did this to get the best out of it that's, for her family that's the thing about the lannisters aside from joffrey every lannister was working towards yeah, the family I was like i hated joffrey because he was a fucking psychopath yes as who you should got off on hurting people as Whereas Cersei Lannister wasn't like that. She was doing this for family. Even though she knew that her son Joffrey was a murderous psychopath. It, it was, was still her son. son. Yeah. But the one thing that I did like the one thing that I feel like is her like character flaw is the fact that she has no room for forgiveness. No. Because she hates hates Tyrion with such like just passion because he she blames him for her mother's death which he had no control over yes he was just a yeah so she will do anything she can to put him down to make him feel bad and wants to kill him and which that's is, just kind of ridiculous which is fucked up because even though he knows she hates him he never had malice towards her no he, he respects he, her yeah he would be a kind of a dick he, he but would, that's just him yeah when you go yeah well when you grow up in medieval times as somebody that oh, shouldn't be alive considered and, a deformity yes yeah uh, then yeah the only he knows that the only reason he gets away with doing 90 percent of the stuff is because he's a lannister yeah and he, he uses would it. yeah and the thing is he always in, and you'll see in those shows that he was all about family he always wanted to be yeah. accepted by the family like he was by his big brother that's why uh, the whole time i was watching it i held very strongly that Tyrion is the opposite side of cersei's coin yes whereas you know you'd look at it as oh they're twins no no well, Tyrion isn't cersei i no, mean I jamie, say, jamie jamie yeah i was just say they're really really unalike like jamie loves her and he loves his family yes but he actually can separate things where Cersei is just driven by vengeance and hatred. Okay, so there are moments in this show that really break my heart. And when uh, Cersei and Jamie's daughter admits <sighs> yeah. to Jamie, she knows she's always known that that's her dad. Yeah. And that he d she doesn't judge him or her mom. No. And like she knows what it's like to be in love and she doesn't judge them or anything like that. And then she fucking dies. Yeah. And that you could see that that aged him more than any of the war that he's seen. Also, Nikolai Castor Wallow. He is a phenomenal yeah. performer as Jamie Lannister. He's the, his character is so pompous and arrogant and I'm the best swordsman. And he, he fucking is. Yeah. He's amazing. He's the best. And, and then, but the thing that I always thought was kind of funny is like people, he got his ass kicked by fucking, um, uh, <laughs> who are you thinking about? Oh, uh, I can't Were they a Stark? No. Okay. Um, Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. He got, like, I don't care what anybody says, like, oh, he was in prison for all this time and he was in He was emaciated. And, and he was emaciated. He got his ass kicked 
by Brienne of Tarth on yeah. that bridge. And he totally respects her for it, too. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, he's the best swordsman. Why did Brienne of Tarth make you look like a bitch then? Mm. And it's just like, I love that. Like, Brienne of Tarth is amazing. Yes. And, and the she has the utmost respect, respect for him. The mutual respect that they have for each other it's is phenomenal. amazing. Uh, yeah, no. Also, Jamie's character, you know him as this arrogant ass, but then you realize, you slowly start to realize he's doing stuff for his family. And then mm-hmm. as he's having these moments of doing stuff for his family, he loses his hand. Yeah. Like this one defining trait. And you watch his character growth. As he grows from this guy who is just kind of this asshole doing his sister's bidding, throwing kids out right. of fucking windows, to this guy who's got to grow with this new deformity, has He's, to learn around this new I challenge. I feel like he probably had, and you know, this is obviously debatable, and I know people would debate me. I feel like Jamie Lannister had probably the biggest character growth because it's like. And when you look at, like, I feel like most people will be like, oh, yeah, but Jon Snow. Yeah, but look, Jon Snow was very war-hardened from the Mm get-go on the wall. And then that was his daily life after that. So there wasn't a great deal of character growth until uh, he saw Ingrid died. Exactly. And and then after that, it was just he was a leader. He's trying to get things done. Also, Jon Snow's character growth is very linear. And, yes. uh, and it doesn't change because he's a guy who's dedicated to duty and family from the get-go. He mm-hmm. goes to the wall out of duty and family. He goes to, like, he everything he does is about honoring his dad or, as we all know now, his uncle. Yes. And it's one of those things where he's always been this dutiful guy and we don't see any change in that. He is the dutiful guy. He's the guy just trying, even though he has to go against the things he wants. He has to turn his back on Ingrid. Yeah. Which just breaks his heart but he swore his word and he'll hold his word he doesn't even leave the wall to help his family because he gave his word until he he dies dies, which is the end of his commitment he said i i pledged my life to the wall i'm dead that life is done this is a new life i'm out (laughs) and it took that and it took losing everything before that and then killed by his own men before he came back and went okay i'm going south yep and it's still with a mission to save the fucking world in his eyes. Yeah. So he's always And that's dutiful. the thing. Like, when it comes to, like, character development, he's the only, like, real person that is like, oh, yeah, you guys are selfish. We have other shit to take care of. Like, you, you got, we have other shit to deal with. Like, we're all going to die. It doesn't matter what you're doing down in Westeros. We're going to die. Yes. Which is why I always like I always think of opposite sides of coins. Like you talk about uh, Jamie and Cersei, mm-hmm. my opposite sides of the coin have always been Jon Snow and Tyrion Lannister. Oh yeah, because while Jon Snow is ostracized and uh, basically pushed away from his family because he's a bastard, mm-hmm. Tyrion and they said it in the first season, all uh, all dwarfs are the ba- are their father's bastards. Right. Uh, you know. So there's this thing where they have this reflective moment where they both know that they don't fit fully into society. They don't have the full name recognition. They'll never be the guy, the bearer for their family. Yeah, one's a snow, the other's an imp, basically. And uh, they have this unbridled dedication to duty and to the world. Uh, Tyrion looks for a cause, someone to to serve and to help the world Mm -hmm. with the gifts that he has. And the gifts that he has is, well, he can talk and he knows. He drinks He's and he knows incredibly things. intelligent. Yes. Whereas John is a warrior. John is always an able body. He's always been that stalwart leader. Yeah. And I think if they had not been separated, I don't think Tyrion would be at 
Daenerys' side, I think he would be at Jon's side. Oh, definitely. And even whenever it comes to that point, it's kind of it's kind of sad to me to think about the fact that it's going to be Cersei, Daenerys, and Jon. And I feel like it should be Jon, Daenerys, against Cersei. Because they would be so awesome together, especially with Tyrion, like being the hand yes behind that guides them literally uh um but it's so great because the, when they first meet obviously they don't like each other because yeah. john snow is a young kid who's just, really defensive yeah really defensive because he's a bastard son and Tyrion is like God, you're, you're a child basically but then when they meet again at the wall yes they respect each other because John has grown into the as role. a man, yeah, and I it just it's just everything about this show is it took the benefit of having the series, and I really think that this this show, The Walking Dead, you have a bunch of these series that came out now mm-hmm. that did in television something so cinematic. It feels every episode feels like it should be on the big screen, right? With how it's shot and the budgeting, and it doesn't have the limitations that a film does. It doesn't have the 90 minutes to two and a half hour time limits. It doesn't have those. The Lord of the Rings suffers, not in its total runtime because it's ridiculous, but also in its, it has so much scope, but it doesn't have so much timeline. And the same thing with the Harry Potter series where everyone goes, they bitch about it. And I really look at everything and I go, film as an empire works for the things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe comic books are only 30 pages long it's easy mm-hmm. to pull a couple of comic books into a series sure you'll miss things but you still get the feel well yeah and, and the intent the in fact a movie that franchise. a movie is typically relegated to 90 minutes mm-hmm. um, two hours and 10 minutes with half their marvel movies nowadays yeah like it's relegated to a very short span of time which is why you know um when you have the big series like the harry potter and they're like well, they cut out huge chunks, and it's like, yeah, they had to because they were analogous to the story, and it doesn't drive the story. Like, As I'm my... sorry, but Peeves doesn't matter when you're no. looking at a story through a movie lens. He doesn't, and to, as much as I hate it because I want Hermione to have the growth of Spew, Yeah, Spew is not important to the cinematic story, which is just Harry and those kids versus fucking Lord Voldemort. That's The, the yeah. whole movie franchise is just Harry versus Voldemort. It's all a build-up to Harry versus Voldemort. And as much as it sucks that the spew parts or that some of the stuff in the game when they're with looking for the uh, for the Triwizard Cup, yeah. that stuff isn't as important as getting to the point where Cedric Diggory fucking dies. Yeah. Or where Voldemort comes back or where Severus, Snape, uh, Sirius uh, Black dies or yeah. Severus dies. Those are the important moments. Dumbledore's death, it all is building up to... Uh, harry facing voldemort yeah and i think this series this series along with stuff like the walking dead these things are changing how we treat television right and it's really we wouldn't get series like we there's a bunch of stuff that's now come out on netflix Mm -hmm. uh netflix direct series that we glow that's a very (sighs) it's a it's but we have these series now that are cinematic in kind of the scope and presentation but they would be they would have been 90 minute movie glow would have been a 90 minute movie without the netflix series style exactly and the netflix series style really has something to say for game of thrones made we can watch this series and this set point of view Mm -hmm. which is 
in the West hasn't been anything but how the British series were handled. Right. As, you know, short well, run series. Also, with the, as you, like, the Netflix series and that setup, um, this was made for the home box office. Yes. So, the reason I feel that it's more cinematic in that aspect is because it's an HBO series so you're not relegated to TV series writing where you have to do something quickly so that you can get to the next commercial yeah. and then come back. Yes. Like, uh, and this is also one I was going to make this parallel as well, whereas you look at shows like How I Met Your Mother, where, you know, that's just a gag, it's a shtick, and then you go to a commercial and you come back. Um, so that's one thing where obviously it can feel very cinematic, much like Sherlock for bbc it's an hour and a half each episode is essentially a movie yes but there is an overarching story that goes between them so it is a series no i totally agree. um but the one thing that i kind of, as i saw it one thing that also kind of bums me out is the fact that we know going ahead there are two seasons left of game yes. of thrones so i have a fear especially with interviews that I've read and think and articles that I've read, I have a fear that it's going to do the, how I met your mother where it's this really large, expansive TV series. And the last season is going to be really, really quickly done and seems kind of jumbled together. And with every, what everybody's saying is, you know, I, the article that came out recently with Kit Harrington saying that, Oh, this season is completely different. Like expect the pace to be picked up. So it, things are going to happen really, really quickly. And I feel like that's going to... I feel like it's going to be a good thing because, yeah, we know it's going to make sure that everything squeezes in. But it means that you have to squeeze in a lot more stuff in a very small time span. See, I don't think... I think uh, they don't have that much left to squeeze. I honestly think that... Okay, so I always relate things in storytelling-wise because I can do the pacing-wise better as uh, professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Everything is a buildup in pro wrestling to the last 90 seconds. Yeah. That last minute and a half, that's where you tell the conclusion of the story. And I honestly think that all six seasons that have been here have been to build to these last two seasons. And these last two seasons are the fucking, are, are the grand finale. They're the fireworks. Right. So honestly, I see the shorter seasons. I honestly see this one building to one fight. And then the aftermath of that builds to the final conclusion. Yeah. And I think, and the thing that benefits them that, so How I Met Your Mother, they knew they were only getting one season left, and yeah. they had no plan. The producers for Game of Thrones and their relationship with writer George R. R. Martin, they've always known what they were working to. Exactly. And they always knew that they were only going to do five or six seasons. So they've got seven, eight seasons now. The seventh, the seventh season and the eighth season are one full season, but it's split in two years. Yeah. So they can focus on two parts, and it makes sense. And I think, but they it, know it's just what... when you look at how much is left that they still have to talk about. It seems how much like there's so the entire war with the White Walkers in the that's season the White... eight. Yeah, but and then you have the entire like it's like okay yes. You leave season six with Daenerys sailing to Westeros. Yes. So obviously that's season seven. But when you look at how long and drawn out um, 
Rob Stark's march yes. was compared to this is going to be a really, really quick battle. Well, and also, it's going to have to be because it's going to have to fit into six or seven episodes. Well, that's another thing What we have where they've never because Rob Stark's takes that time. Uh, but we also lose out on other things move along. That's the thing where they're not setting what time zones anything are going on in. They're, the calendar isn't like a direct line. Right. We've talked about this, about how time passes in this series. And it's one of those things where, yes, this might only be six hours of television for us. But how many months is that for the characters? How long? It's years. Yeah. yeah we don't. We, we, don't, we can't yeah. really tell because exactly. they don't really do. They, I felt that they never really did a great job at portraying no, time. They have never. Like that's it. Like when I like what I was saying, the the wolves. That's really it. Yeah, no, it Those, is. Their growth is about the only thing that you see. So when you actually have to th- sit down and think about each time that you jump from one character to a next, you're looking at months and months when you come back to that character. Exactly. But they don't really do a good job of showing that. No. And Other that- than like with Tyrion, you know, you see like little blonde Tyrion in the beginning and he ages and you can see ruddy and the dark beard. Yeah, you can see the beard and the the dark ruddy hair that's grown out and now he has the scar on his face. But yeah, yeah with other characters you don't see time. You don't see growth. But, but that's what I'm saying is yeah. we don't have a good chronological view of it. So I'm 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 I just am going into it as blank as possible. I'm not watching anything on it. It's much like how I've done with the the Spider-Man Homecoming, what I'm going to do with the next uh, Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. I am not watching anything about them. And I, for a, me, that's hard because I was always a kid who grew up scrambling for any bit of information on anything. Right. And I just want to go into things blind because I don't want well, expectations. I do the same yeah. thing with the Marvel Universe. Exactly. I, I try to keep myself because, and, <laughs> and I know I'm going to get flack for saying this, you are a big fan of Game of Thrones. I just came into it. So yes. I am very analytical and critical of it. Yes. And it's not something... I, I will say it. I didn't love it. I I liked it. Yes. I liked Game of Thrones a lot. And I will watch it. And I'm looking forward to Sunday. But I didn't love it. Yes. You know? So I have been very analytical and critical of it. I've been watching and putting my hands on things to read. And it just... It, I you know i'm looking at things and i'm kind of like i don't know we'll see whereas you know you were a fan you know not from the immediate get go but you know you, early on in the you, uh, yeah you rate. had time to grow with it so it very it very much grew on you whereas this is still just clinging to the outer shell of me cuz we finished the series like not even a month ago yes so no i i just that's why I wanted to talk about it today because one Sunday and two, it's just, it's such a popular thing in the mainstream. You just got into it. I've been into it in a while. And it's one mm-hmm. of those things where we talk about the excitement factor. There is two more seasons left. I am excited for it. I'm not jumping out of my fucking seat. I'm not dreading the end of it either. I'm not either. And that's the thing. I know there's a lot of people going, Oh, there's only two more seasons left where yeah. I'm like, they have two seasons to tell the end of a story. I like when a story has an end. We talked about we've talked about this before because I love uh, personally we talked about this before because I love Gravity Falls, and yeah. I love that the writer the creator of it's like it's only two seasons long. It's one summer of their lives. So we're not continuing this. Yeah, you know we're not going to drag it out till I have nothing to fucking write about. It's two seasons. Mm-hmm. It's this one experience. It's encapsulated, 
and I love that. I love, as much as I would love more stuff with Gravity Falls, I love the characters, and I would love to see what happens to them. I like a complete story. That's what I love right. about cinema, is when you watch the movie, yeah, that's mini. It. That's the that's the thing that I love more about like a mini series. Yeah, the smaller series. Yeah, uh, like, structure. Did I? Uh, I found it. I found it again. But uh, I think it was back in like 2008. BBC did a mini series called Hyde, where it was about Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde yes. set in the current time, and it was fantastic. No, and I but love it was them. like eight episodes. Well, that's why I like about most uh, anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, animes for the most part have a beginning middle and end and it's one season or two seasons long yeah uh my favorite anime of all time is six episodes long and while there is a sequel series uh set coming up in the next year Mm -hmm. which i'm actually really ecstatic for because the pillows came back to it i love fully cooly and um (laughs) but like those six episodes that's it that's all i needed evangelion has a short run as a as a series too and i love that but then you have the opposite side where there's an overabundance of like dragon ball and dragon ball z exactly and one piece and in yeah. like i've there are some continuing series that i love and like inuasha continued for way too long but i yeah. i love that series but it's one of those things where sometimes you get a lot of missteps in it i love buffy the vampire slayer but mm-hmm. it was obvious that they were scrambling for stuff yeah in the later series where the first three four seasons are fantastic and they tackle a lot of ground and a lot of barriers. And I mean, the thing um, that's different about that, I feel mostly, is the 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 archetype that it fits into. Whereas anime obviously takes a lot more work and forethought into producing it. Yes. Whereas when you look at like TV serials, they just a lot of it is written to a week as, or two before, and there's not as much forethought. Or the season before, like. And it's all a matter yeah. of, um, oh, we're still making money on this. Let's keep going. Yeah. Well, like, you know, a really good example is South Park, where Matt and Trey figure out what they're going to do the week before it's put out. So, I mean, you can see that in some of, not not the like the later seasons, because yeah. obviously they just finished season 20, which is amazing. But in some of, the, like, the later seasons, like season 12, season 13, you could see that it was very much just trying to keep with what's on the what's on the news and what can we make fun of and it you know it it didn't do itself justice in some of the original episodes but you know like the last couple seasons they actually forced themselves to sit down and write a storyline and each episode was something different but it had that overarching story so it had substance yeah whereas like i will always go back to it because it was something that i loved very dearly how i met your mother yeah no that That last season i I hated it well also the seasons right before that it was just like oh we're still getting ratings so we're still writing this yeah i think if they had planned the end and they had had a series limit and that's the problem with like a lot of american television is it's motivated by money yeah and it doesn't have a complete story to tell and that sucks because when a series starts they they have a story to tell Mm -hmm. you know that's why a series starts someone pitched an idea and they're like i have this story to tell and then it continues whereas that's the thing i love about game of thrones which i feel weird about with walking dead i don't see an end in sight for a show like walking dead oh they've already said that there's basically no end in sight which makes me not give a shit i don't care it doesn't matter um whereas game of thrones there's an end i can enjoy this journey to the destination that's like we we've had the the walking dead conversation yeah on this podcast (laughs) with alexander i watched uh 
like up until the point where they found out well there was no cure there's nothing they can do and i'm just like well who fucking cares it's literally just going to be people walking around trying to stay alive literally that's the moment where i i, I saw that episode where they find that out mm-hmm. and i the, literally the moment where i thought so the end of this episode is they just shoot themselves in the head right yeah because at that there's point, no end game well, and that's exactly what they did it's like the point in the movie the mist remember the yeah. mist when yeah. everything seems hopeless in the movie the mist he fucking takes it everyone's life and that was like the 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 promise and that's when the reveal happened that there was hope and that's one of the best twist yeah. endings ever in cinema history but it, it it was it was a real choice to make mm-hmm. and there's no and the characters are just like i'm gonna survive i'm gonna suffer my kid's gonna grow up suffering and i just go no i would never let my kid live like that. i would never yeah, let like, my kid what, live like that with no hope point? yeah what's the point and uh no and i just that's why i like stuff like game of thrones i like more knowing there's an end yeah and that's what i love about movies and that's where hbo benefited with game of thrones that's where mm-hmm. gravity falls benefits there's i i know the end of game of thrones is nigh and i'm reveling in watching this the idea of watching their story right also one thing that i feel like really needs to be brought out and the fact that yeah they only have two more seasons is the fact that we don't even have the end of the novel series yeah and they get to there's do something. there's been uh, like whatever you want to say about it there's obviously been speculation and george R. R. martin has come out and said it's bullshit but they're like george R. R. martin's getting old what if we don't ever see the end of this? What if this is all we have? Whatever, it doesn't matter. But either way, we are still finishing the story completely separate from the original series. Well, that's like when Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the movie, got made. Right. He hadn't released the final issue. And actually, the movie kind of changed how, like, some of the ideas that he had with it. And it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, how does this affect... Which one of these media now affects the other? And I can't wait... A, to read George R. R. Martin's final books, and B, I can't wait to see the end of the series. I yeah. just, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm actually now, I think, after doing this podcast, more excited than I was the entire week leading up to this recording. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to see what they do. I do too. I want, I want to sit down and really enjoy it. And maybe we talk about it after the end of the season and talk about what we think the next season is going to be. I feel like that's very podcastable. Yes. Well, well, that's where I think we're going to end this episode. We're both looking forward to it in different aspects, coming from a different plane at it. And it's cool because you can jump on something. It's not going to have the same feeling that it does for someone who's an early adopter. But mm-hmm. it doesn't make your appreciation of it any less valid than mine. Right. And I think that's where we're going to leave today. Oh, that just made me think of something. What? What were you saying before um this, okay so with to this is actually kind of interesting so what the first time that i met uh old uh previous podcast uh member nick Izumi was at anime apocalypse like like 2013 the, yes. the one no. yeah the one that you didn't get to go to so the second one yes um or you had to leave from? I don't recall. I think you had to leave. Yes, uh, um, wrestling show. Yeah, we. They, I went to the the Doctor Who panel, and he made a really interesting point of anybody that tries to put you down. That's like, oh, well, you haven't seen the original series. He's like, that has no merit now. 
we're on season like season seven now yeah like this is its own thing so even though you have just started here with eccleston doesn't make you any less of a doctor who fan not at all and it's just that's the same kind of thing i feel like that goes for anything just because you start it at a certain point later on doesn't mean that you don't grow with those characters. Yeah, if you came into liking comics or liking the characters in comics based on the Marvel Cinematic movies or based on some of the DC movies like the Dark Knight or whatever trilogy got you into something, mm-hmm. that doesn't discredit your like of a character right? or a like of a piece of material more than it does compared to someone who's always grown up with the comics. I always hated that comic book elitism. I grew yeah. up around comics. I grew up going to conventions, and then there was this, this backlash against Oh, they just like it's like when someone wins the Super Bowl and then uh, the the bandwagoners, the bandwagoners, and everyone gets mad about the bandwagoners. It's like, hey, shut the fuck up, because those bandwagoners are spending money on something you like, which means more money can be put to something you like, which means I I never I do not like the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. (laughs) The Green Lantern movie is the it kind of led to the me making this podcast, the concept of getting right. excited for something and being disappointed. Also, without Green Lantern, we would have never gotten Deadpool. No, we wouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, or a great joke in Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I have so much cool Green Lantern merchandise related to the comics, related to the movie, that was made because Hollywood went, let's put a bunch of money into Green Lantern now. And that movie, and the excitement that that movie got from me and other things... It put more Green Lantern stuff into the world. Yeah. And I get to enjoy more Green Lantern. And Green Lantern's more recognizable now. And yeah, people I mean, want to see a new At that Green point, Lantern. I even, like, I because you, you and I have obviously discussed this before. I loved um, Green Lantern growing up as a kid, too, but there was never merch anywhere. Exactly. But then the movie came out, and I'm like, oh, you're, you're goddamn right. I'm going to buy myself a Green Lantern ring. So, you know, it was really cool. five fucking power rings that oh, season. Oh, yeah. I straight up, we I went so super decked out to that movie and got super angry. Yeah, that movie broke my heart. But, yeah, no, there's always, like, that sort of elitism with people that I've never truly understand. Like, oh, well, you're just here because it's on television. You don't know the source material. And it's like... Oh, yeah, these books bitch, had that problem. Unless you're as old as fucking Stan Lee, you were never around for the source material of Spider-Man. This is true. Or even older to be Superman. Because yeah. Stan Lee kind of... Stan Lee grew up with Superman as in existence. Exactly. And it's like... Like, the elitism doesn't exist really, truly, unless you're, like, in your 80s and yeah. you've been doing it the whole time. Well, yeah, you yeah. all had the same, oh, this is really cool. I found this somewhere else. I'm going to go back and read this. Yeah. So, you're not any less or more of a fan, depending on when you find something. And what really clicks with it is just enjoy the thing. And mm-hmm. if someone else comes at a new aspect, don't, don't kind of browbeat them with it expose them to more of the media like yeah i oh you love this episode of this have you seen this because this is really cool yeah oh you should totally like i'm the i, I always love giving <laughs> recommendations and getting recommendations oh you you like this a lot here you should read my fanfic <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there's great fanfic great, out and then sometimes, sometimes it's... it's awful but it's great in the awful way yeah i like so i'm gonna end this episode with this if you are a fan of Game of Thrones and are caught up on everything and you know someone who isn't, uh, be cool. Because uh, Game of Thrones might not be their thing. It's not everyone's thing. I know it's the biggest television show in the world right now. That doesn't mean it's everyone's thing. But also, 
if there's someone getting into it and you can add some context to it without being spoiler asshole, go for it. And that goes for everything. If you love a form of media and you're getting a friend into it, don't don't push everything down their throat. But when they ask questions, give recommendations and take recommendations sometimes because someone new in a someone new to something might have dug deep. Yeah. In a way you hadn't yet. And just enjoy the conversation. We yeah. did. Yeah, I mean I've done the same thing like as as a new uh, person that's watched Game of Thrones, I've spoken to specific people that I work with about things, and they were like, "Oh, I never thought of it that way." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, and, like uh, co-worker specifically, we we were talking about it, and she was really excited because she loves Game of Thrones, and she's like, "Oh, well, what'd you think of that?" I'm like, "Oh, well, I knew this, this, and this was gonna happen." She's like, "How'd you guess that?" And it's like. I'm a I'm a film student. Yeah. Like I know how to look, I know how to look th- at story and see what's coming with foreshadowing. She's like, I hate you. And I kind of she kind of I took away some of the excitement that she had that I was getting exposed to something new because I figured it out. Yeah. So I know who you're talking about too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, with that being said, uh, for this episode of I Want to Like This, I'm Thomas Sinclair, and I'm Jerry Gossett. You have a great day.